Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. It's sweet that you worry about my problems. Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 201, The Broken Circle, comes to you now via antimatter detonation switch. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Pete, just yesterday we were giving our final Secret Invasion preview uh, in light of its Hollywood premiere and so forth. All of this ahead of uh, our episodic coverage of that show starting next week for Secret Invasion Saturdays. Yeah, so excited to be able to finally dig into that with our listeners. That first episode available on Disney Plus on Wednesday, June 21st. And of course, for the next six weeks, we'll be bringing you Secret Invasion on Saturday. Meanwhile, Pete, the writer's strike continues. Uh, some great outpourings of uh, not just Star Trek writers, but also actors, producers, and so forth lately. Hand in hand with that has been, uh, I would say, an above average sized Emmy campaign for Star Trek Picard with the slogan This is not a joke. This is the slogan they're using Star Trek Picard, ensure that history never forgets the name. That's right, Pete. They're using a misquote from yesterday's Enterprise because PR people care about Star Trek. If only, Matt. If only they had real writers available for this you know but yeah they've forced them on strike the screen actors guild has uh had a uh certification vote to go on a possible strike with uh nearly as high a ratio as the writers guild did and um that was definitely felt matt at the premiere of Strange New Worlds on Sunday. Indeed, uh, Akiva Goldsman in attendance, no speech given, no cast attended. He's a writer and writing a speech and then saying it, that counts. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, uh, Pete, I'm not here to criticize the decision of him showing up. I guess him showing up was as showrunner and him not speaking was in his function as a writer. Uh, the first two episodes were screened there, and uh, the first six have been screened to the media folks. Yeah, so be careful out there, guys. These first six, uh, it's a wild ride, and we start with this one. Now, Pete, I'll also mention that uh, unlike the uh, virtual premiere for uh, the most recent season of Discovery and the in-person premiere for Strange New Worlds Season 1. Uh, they didn't cast a super wide net for this premiere last Sunday. Uh, indeed, I must say, Pete, after we had a frankly enchanting and magical time at the Season 1 premiere, uh, didn't even know that this was happening until uh, some people started to share pictures online. So I guess, Pete, we missed the invite, or rather didn't get one. I mean... It happens. It happens. It seems like it was more of like a grassroots type of effort, and that's cool and all. Uh, a lot of great cosplay. Uh, there was a Captain Angel among the bunch, so that was really neat. 
Um, but given kind of the, the muted proceedings, at least as far from the creatives and the cast, I guess, Matt, they didn't want us there. Yeah, I know. Look, I would have loved to be there even with a muted presentation and all of that. I know actually that Sunday I was under the weather and also interesting choice to do it on a Sunday evening. I know some of the people drove hours and hours to get there. Um, so not sour grapes. I think if anything, I'll, I will forever cherish the memory of the mm -hmm. gold carpet experience from season one. And uh, given as how we didn't have a chance to go to this one and it did seem to be a lesser experience. Uh, my memory of going to Star Trek premieres now is one out of one and just a super magical time. They'll get us next time. Well, with that, Pete, let's head into this episode's mission briefing. Last season on Star Trek Discovery, Matt, there was a Klingon war. Yeah, I was like, hey, I appreciate the recap, and all of a sudden we're seeing footage from before last season, i.e. not only the, uh, you know, Pike stuff from Discovery Season 2, but indeed the Klingon War having happened in Season 1 of Discovery and so forth. I, I get what they're saying overall, and it was a handy recap, because I must confess, Pete, in the world of TV, where people, you know, heal from their wounds quickly and so forth, I know there was a Klingon War that the Star Trek canon explored in 2017, 2018, I have to confess, Pete, it wasn't at the top of my head that some people might have still, you know, might still be carrying around, some characters might still be carrying around, uh, you know, psychological damage and so forth from the Klingon War. You don't need to shout out Discovery, but maybe just be genuine that that didn't happen in season one of Strange New Worlds. I guarantee... There are people like, well, but wait, no, that didn't happen then. But Matt, that gives way to the spire of Starbase One swarming with activity as Captain Christopher Pike narrates a log on Stardate 2369.2 that the Enterprise is in space dock and the crew is taking leave while Chief Fleet Inspector Commander Pelia and her team from operational support services, run comprehensive inspections, checks, and make upgrades. And as Admiral Robert April takes a seat before a vague and unseen threat, Pike explains he senses attention he cannot pin down. Indeed, perhaps a bigger crisis. Uh, obviously, they're setting up further exploring that by the end of the episode, but Pike's bigger crisis of course is number one in the slammer uh they're trying to track down particulars indeed trying to tra track down a particular uh, lawyer i have some thoughts on that possibly when we talk theories pike suggests that this fight be taken public uh, but una will not allow it at least not this episode uh she's heard that there's a plea deal in the works in fact uh the implication being she can plead whatever and then she's out of starfleet um a pike says you cannot take such a deal the enterprise needs her he needs her well acted moment there well written moment and he is going to fight for what is right but she uh, was told by him not to start a fight you can't win 
And he clarifies that they started this and they're together going to find a way to win. He intends to take a three-day leave to fly to the other side of the quadrant to talk to this female lawyer uh, herself face-to-face, and he orders Una to hang in there. As Pike packs, Spock is concerned as half the crew is on leave, and they lack a chief engineer as well as a head of security. But Pike says the Enterprise won't have to leave space dock, and Spock knows the human expression about famous last words. Just a great... This is just... What a well-written scene here in a well-written episode. Spock goes to see Dr. Mbenga, who is seeing in Spock signs of human stress, um, perhaps even as a result of the strong emotions that he let out previously on Star Trek. Um, indeed, it's it's explained in the wonderful kind of Star Trek pseudoscience way here that, uh, uh, of course, Mbenga says Vulcans have have greater emotions than humans, but of course it is controlled so tightly. But Spock releasing his anger has loosened those emotional blocks. Uh, so perhaps the solution here is a more human type of therapy. Perhaps this Vulcan loot. That's right, Pete. Did you have on your bingo card hashtag loot origin story? I'm a liar guy, not a loot. I know it can be called both. Um didn't that uh, Mbenga would would have the Vulcan instrument here and hand that off as human therapy, but it all tracks. Um, and the idea here that, all right, you, you play it and Spock's vitals go down on display there, but the door opens as Nurse Chapel comes in to tell him she's coming on duty and Spock's heart rate spikes before he leaves i see what they did there uh, and benga notes the fascinating effect and chapel brings up the archaeological medicine fellowship she's thinking about applying to for two months on vulcan he won't get rid of her that easily on the bridge, uh, there's notions here that this engineering crew uh, has found irregularities first at Ortegas's station um, and, you know, the, the custom modifications she's made. Pete, I think in the, the, in the fast films, they call those mods. Um, also at uh, Uhura's station, uh, it's noted that another engineering person wants to upload a communications patch. This upsets Uhura, who A, has more of a backbone, and B, I like how they kind of were easing into, oh, it's Ensign Uhura now and so forth. Asserting um, herself, absolutely. Uh, we go back to Spock's quarters, where he's sitting there fiddling with his loot. Uh, then it's Uhura at the door, uh, who's found an odd signal variance. Um, I love the little line here. It's it's both hand of the writer and hand of the invisible writer, if you will. Spock, of course, is playing the lute, we know, to try and calm his savage emotional beasts and so forth. Uh, and would have rather that she you know, call down to him, not show up at, at his door. But of course, she can't, what with this communications patch that has internal comms down. So we need a face-to-face, -face, which is more interesting dramatically anyway. 
and um, did actress Cecilia uh, Rose Gooding hear music, uh, who a um, a singer herself, and we know of Uhura and Spock in the original series with the music. Uh, but that signal variant is coming from Kajitar. Uh, ultimately, it's a distress signal from La'an. That's right, Pete. The very same La'an that in our preview episodes we've said, wait a minute, it appears that she has left the show forever to go <laughs> do a search thing. And we wondered, will she ever come back? Maybe it's this episode. Um, but with this distress signal, Pete, part of the crew, part of the family, time for the Enterprise to go, but hard cut. Permission denied, says uh, says uh, Robert April, which is also just a little delightful bit of, you know, emotional ping pong back and forth. Yes. Uh, citing that if it's even on, she's been on voluntary leave for months. So there we go. Time frame. Right. Uh, Spock says that the message states dangerous situation on Kajitar Four. resources of enterprise critical anti-federation threat it even sounds like bon um spock knows that kajitar 4 is a dilithium mining planet on the edge of klingon space april explains a treaty allows them to alternate monthly access with the klingons who have it this month showing up would be considered uh, an act of war now they'll check it out next month when we get custody uh, Pete, I love that this is a wacky conceit here. I also know there's a great YouTube channel called The Tim Traveler, which talks about some island, I think it's on the border of Spain and France, that like every six months does this. It goes back and forth and back and forth. So again, as much as it's a weirdo writing conceit, it's also a weirdo real world conceit too. So um Again, though, this notion that Laon's going to have to fend for herself. The crew has a sidebar in the conference room. I appreciate, Pete, that Mitchell is uh, part of yes. this discussion here. Uh, that's a nice kind of character upgrade. I hope we see more of the character, more of the actress, and so forth. Um, the crew talking it over. This could be a trap. Um, however, it's Mitchell who says the Admiral's directive is clear. But Spock, sensing that it's almost the end of the teaser act, says it is, in fact, Time to steal the Enterprise. A slightly new title card with some uh, new animation there, some of which had been in the marketing for season two. Gives way to Mitchell entering engineering and accessing a station, triggering a coolant leak warning. Uhura announces that non-essential personnel need to evacuate and Pelia hears this and heads to the bridge where Spock reminds her of the situation, but her team has just spent three days evaluating equipment and found nothing wrong with it. And she teaches a course in warp core breaches at the Academy. And if he'd taken it, he'd know that heightened temperatures are most commonly confused as an eminent breach. And then she sees someone accidentally simulated a leak on the sensors. So she's not implying. She's flat out saying someone violated about 17 Starfleet regulations. Does Spock want to tell her? 
Uh, they're not stealing the Enterprise, but she knows Vulcans don't do things without a good reason. And one Vulcan with a hunch who happens also to be Amanda Grayson's son. But how do you... She asks them to vent ionized plasma from the nacelles, and Spock asks why she's helping them before ordering Ortegas to vent the plasma. That Admiral April looks on, uh, and the docking clamps are blown so Enterprise can put space between them and Starbase One. The wide shot using the LED stage uh, where April sees that, I think it's another example of it being a very, very good but not great execution of the LED wall technology. I know it sounds like a criticism or damned by faint praise or something like that. Look, you know, uh, Industrial Light Magic and Star Wars and The Mandalorian are by and large the originators of this tech. Um, they also have a larger space with which to do it and presumably more processing power and the best people to do it and so forth. There, there were elements of this particular shot where it, it kind of looked a little funny. I think maybe it was like how the virtual camera and the real camera were interacting or something like that. Again, very, very good. Just not the flawlessness that we saw in Mandalorian, but that's okay. It's still learning curve and all of that. I mean, listen, they, they use it in engineering. They use it uh, for Starbase One. Uh, they've had this set up in the first season. They've used it here in this episode for Kajitar for for multiple vantage points. The kind of like bizarre and then, you know, the underground mining cave. They're getting better at it in terms of the dynamic nature of the shots. They're doing it. But also when you know what you're looking at, it it is completely apparent. Yeah. And I would add to it. um for all its use in season one, I think that it was very, it was infrequent in season one that they were doing major camera moves with it, which I, I understand they have brand new technology there that probably no one on the crew has working familiarity with. Um, unlike again, let's say Mandalorian, Mandalorian, then what's the next prominent thing to use it? The Batman, where they take the cinematographer from the Mandalorian and he comes over to be cinematographer for that. He's got the experience and so forth. I'd rather them do cool camera shots and maybe it not look 100% uh, than sit and go, well, we're scared to move the camera because maybe there's going to be a computer issue or whatever. Like, you know, go for it, learn from it. Um, but ultimately, within the world of the story here, uh, as you said, Pete, uh, with that uh, venting of uh, plasma, they're told to make space. Uh, Pelia on the bridge notes that they are short. Uh, a chief engineer, and I guess she's there to sub in since there's a need. Uh, it's been a hundred years since she's uh, been at things like this. Uh, is that true? She says it's a long story. I'm wondering, really Pete. Long story. <laughs> I know we're going to get that explained more within the episode. Yes. Uh, indeed, we're uh, going to we, have. We need a Carbon Creek style episode matt and uh yeah i i really hope we're we're coming to that you don't think this is possibly a setup for um let's see snappy title pelia wanders the stars colon a star trek <laughs> strange new worlds novel 
I I don't. I think I, listen, we'll we'll discuss it at length in terms of, you know, theories. But uh, I, I think and I'm not saying this, you know, haven't seen, you know, the, the first six. But, you know, in light of what's said here, I, I think it's very apparent of what's coming. Uh, she does say that she's uh, Lanthanite uh, or pardon me, Uhura is the one who, who susses that out on account of her accent. Pete, that's when my brain banks went and said Lanthanite, no entry noted. And I was like, OK, I clear this is clearly a deep cut. Now, I have a personal guideline, not a rule, but a guideline that I don't look up stuff on Memory Alpha uh, ahead of time because I don't want to say, oh, somebody on Memory Alpha said this is a theory or you know whatever. Right. I did, however, look up Lanthanite. Do you know how many episodes, in how many episodes, the Lanthanites have been mentioned in the entire history of Star Trek? This is brandy new. There you go. Thereby confirming that when my brain uh, scan said uh, no file found, uh, I was actually up to date. So there you go. Hear that? Matt is memory alpha. Well, only sometimes. <laughs> uh, um, we ultimately... As they have made space, uh, Starbase One is calling, uh, but Spock opts to warp to Kajitar. Will he say the thing? Pete, it was adorable in the preview. It's adorable here. Would it have been nice to see it with fresh eyes? Sure, but his chair thing. Ortegas has one that she's <laughs> workshopping. Vamanos. Um, but Spock's thing, you know, no Mitchell's pressure here. last captain said, zoom. <laughs> um, that's got to be a remnant of covid right like that 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 worked in the that worked in the writing room because some of the people were like on oh, the first time we met was on zoom um i, I don't know but it, it still works here i would like the ship to go now it just works on kajitar for a klingon chugs blood wine and tells a human wearing emperor georgiou's outfit from star trek discovery when she showed up on Kronos um, to beat that before La'an Noonien Singh removes her hood and Marion Ravenwoods his ridges with a burp. Indeed, Pete. Shades of Raiders of the Lost Ark here. The only thing that could have surprised me more is if we saw more of Marion Ravenwood this month and new stuff. I don't know, but... Uh, I love how La'an uh, not just burps, she finishes that mug, she snarls. Uh, her dog spills some in his beard. He burps and coughs and gags. And you know what, Pete? There are no small parts, only small actors. And this guy here perfectly capturing that most human of things, which is when you go from the tummy feels okay to your body is saying, we are 30 seconds away, and you can prepare for this any way you want, but vomiting is going to happen in 28 seconds. So maybe it's time for you to move, because in 24 seconds, it's happening. A core breach of a different kind. But a Klingon woman puts her dough down, and La'an returns it, because the Klingon knows what she really wants, a meeting with Grainax. Uh, Lon tells her to set it for that night and Dr. Mbenga sidles up in civilian clothing, but from afar does the thing where he runs his pointer finger under his eye, his bond with La'an. 
who meets with the rest of the crew on the planet and they catch up. She thanks them for coming and explains the girl who survived the gone Oriana found her parents who are now sick from ion exposure after an explosion at the mine. The mining syndicate made up of ex-Klingon and Federation types made a killing during the war and peace has been bad for business. They want to restart the war and have been looking to get their hands on as much Federation tech as they can. Benga notes that ion radiation is not a side effect of dilithium, but photon torpedoes. And Chapel is quick to jump in and explain that both she and Mbenga served in the war and oh you know he just liked to read up on that tech he wasn't like super into some kind of black ops rogue thing that we're gonna see later in this episode uh sometimes in your story you gotta chug through the exposition or secret backstory or whatever and it it, it works here it really really does um as indeed it should i mean written by showrunner Henry Lanto Myers and the Oscar-winning Akiva Goldsman, who, let's not forget, Pete, did not write anything for that premiere uh, event thing. He just sat there. Um, As he should. It's also reiterated here that Uhura is an ensign now. Uh, time has passed, as you said, Pete. Uh, in the med tent area, our two medical pros, Chapel and Mbenga, survey the lousy situation. Oriana is happy to see them, introduces uh, the pair to her parents. Some lights are shined upon the two mothers here. Uh, the promise with the one injection that you'll feel better in about a day. But all of a sudden there's a Klingon lady who wants some uh, sweet, sweet medical attention too. And her goons have guns up. Yeah, here comes that syndicate here looking to add a little spice to our story it's understood the kidnapping going on here but what that does is give us time uh as lon awaits the meat spock and uhura spy laon offers phasers and asks why asks why grain wants them but she promised him more uh, when he wonders what would stop him from taking them from her, she produces an antimatter detonation switch. Is she sure she doesn't have any Klingon blood? Uh, he'll pay double for what she's got, but he needs to get his hands on more. Uh, later, Uhura asks about her gambit to learn it was a bluff. Uh, Uhura could parse out enough of the obscure dialect they were speaking before the meeting to learn that whatever they're up to goes down tomorrow. Spock says they can't call Starfleet without solid proof, and they contact Transporter Chief J to bring them back, but the med team's signal was lost an hour ago. We cut to those very same two medical folks. Oh, seamless transition. They're in a cave, uh, a dilithium ore cave. Pete, you might say a mine of Aurea. Um, <laughs> they see that 
look, that thing over there, it's big. It's being built, and it's big. I have to confess, Pete, it didn't appear completely clear what it was, other than the implication of it being kind of ship-sized. Um, but regardless, uh, what my notes were critical that this was like a redress of sick bay or something. I think in part because seeing the ship from afar, it was not clear that we are meant to be on a Federation type ship. So I withdraw my concern that this is a redress of sick bay. No, this is a redress of a either discovery set or, um, or strange new world set, but it's because they're building a Federation starship including the hallways but i digress pete there's badly hurt klingons here although not as badly hurt because there's some redundant systems as you may have heard back from tng and more recently as we learned in discovery um we get some mbenga backstory sent to the moon of jagal uh, after the battle of chakana there was so much blood that the rain turned red um but is mbenga flashing back to the war uh, or, he wonders, can the war ever truly be over? Uh, again, a nice bit of acting here and, uh, you know, pondering on the psychological toll paid by those who serve. Yes, Chapel asks if he's okay, um, but he can't tell her this doesn't bring everything back, but he's in control. Uh, she reminds Joseph you know, to emphasize their closeness. I don't know if you've heard, Matt, they don't just serve together now, they serve together then, um, that that war is over. Uh, and she says the severity of the burn suggests the torpedoes are on board and they ascertain the syndicate's plans and need to warn the enterprise. And then he produces a green vial that he says she knows can help them do what they need to. And she asks if he ever doesn't carry it. And they load their hyposprays. And she asks if he's sure he wants to do it again. But he doesn't see a better choice. And they dose up with this gamma type serum, Matt. And their pupils dilate. And the vials break before they overpower Klingons left and right. I must confess, I thought that they were going to use the same genetic technology that we saw in the series premiere. And they were going to get the little, you know, hypo spray and then they were going to turn Klingon. Uh, this is much cool cooler. <laughs> What's that? That would have been cool, too. Yeah, but then it would have been like hey, it's neat that they're wearing makeup and stuff versus like, here they are Matrix-empowered baddies. Um, all that's missing is sunglasses and machine guns here. Um, Benga ultimately, after a really you know, solid fight scene here, Benga corners a boss who actually was given off the boss vibe earlier in the sickbay scene. Uh, he asks for info all while blooding his nose couple of smacks later we're told there's 30 soldiers on the bridge there's a transponder on deck 13 uh so mbenga and chapel go to that transponder even as they start to feel uh the engines warming up uh mbenga is going to reprogram the transponder to send a message he needs a minute so chapel does as one needs to you know beats up three guys 
And it's only when there's some disruptor fire that our heroes start to scoot a bit. Yes, the one thing they seemingly cannot punch. Um, they need to find a way off the ship, lifting a hatch to enter the deck below. Chapel says they need an airlock unless he brought enough juice for another dance. Uh, they fight some more. And when Chapel is caught, he frees her and they overpower the rest, but flee from still more before Chapel hotwires the door uh, closed as the ship takes off. That's like a cat in a tree, Pete. That's a cat in a tree moment. It's getting worse, not better. Uh, above the planet, we see a Klingon battlecruiser warp in. And the camera reveals that the Enterprise is hidden uh, in an ice field while on low power mode. Um, which explains why they can sense things, I guess. But certainly why they're not being seen. Uh, the ship ultimately taking a breather here. A hail comes in and it's La'an. Something is happening soon. Um, and What's La'an, that behind you, La'an? Well, Pete, it turns out it's a Federation type ship that I thought was kind of had pieces of a cross field and a constitution. They just say it looks like a cross field. Here's my Which theory, Pete. we should note is the discovery with the distinctive holes in the hull there. I think that they wrote Crossfield into the script and later on said, wait a minute, that's a cool callback, but in the world of the show, there was only two or three of that class, I guess the Crossfield itself, uh, the Glenn and the Discovery, and Discovery is gone and Glenn is gone, and this is like a highly uh, secretive model here. So I think that in VFX, they went back and said like, yeah, it's a Crossfield saucer and some other parts here and there that that actually makes more sense pete i won't ponder as to whether there's any metaphorical stuff later on where the strange new world ship shoots at a discovery type ship and destroys it i think that's just good old star trek reusing models even if they are digital coming to some out of control youtubers channel soon but Uhura says the transponder ping of that other ship is off. It seems like it's Morse 2. Uh, spelling out Enterprise, destroy this ship, which is surely not something an enemy ship would tell you know, them to do. Uh, the med team is pinned down with maybe five minutes uh, and check lockers for EV suits as Ortegas and Spock put together the false flag operation to reignite the war, and the med team had altered the transponder to let them know. Spock orders Ortegas to take the Enterprise into weapons range, but to hold off. The med team find some equipment, um, and the ship fires on Enterprise, Spock telling Ortegas to continue to hold off and they dodge torpedoes. The med team has a helmet with a beacon and an attitude jet in the pack. And Mbenga says it'll take almost a minute before they die, but don't worry, they'll pass out after 15 seconds. As the ship enters sensor range of the battle cruiser, which closes. Mitchell says they only have time for one shot. 
and Spock hesitates. Uh, we see in space how the battle cruiser is now picking up that false flag ship. Spock still hesitating. What shall we do? He's hoping for that medical signal. Uh, they ultimately are outside the airlock and so forth. There's intercutting back and forth. There's tension. The Enterprise destroys the false flag ship, which, as you said, Pete, I know you're saying it as a joke now, but I guarantee by the time people are listening to this, you'll be able to find YouTube people that are like, this is proof that Discovery is dead and all that. So um, think of the brilliance of the writers here. They... In the story, they created a false flag that now morons will use as a false flag. Uh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, it's a success. Spock has saved the day, you know, except for in Banga and Chapel being dead. But wait, there's an EV suit transponder signal. Uh, I love the visuals. I guess it's, is it meant to be Mbenga's perspective as Chapel beams in? Yeah, the tumbling of the um, of the transporter. They they do this quite a bit on this show in particular, really emphasizing the the twisting around in the transporter room of perspective. Um, so I love it's like, oh, they're dead. No, they beamed in barely alive. No, Mbenga is still alive. Is Chapel in fact dead? Uh, of course, Pete. We know canonically she's going to be just fine, but. Uh, Spock comes in giving chest compression saying he waited for her you do not die um, just a wonderful acting moment here for Ethan Peck who I just need to get my head on straight that like when we did go to that season one premiere they were still filming season two so we saw the season two people but it was before season one came out you know all that stuff time for production this not the other and like Ethan Peck has gone from good to great in the course of, you know, from last season to this season, uh, she comes back to life. Pete, I can't, I couldn't quite tell. Was that a solitary tear moving down his cheek? Was there maybe a little, little mole or something? He's Regardless. got a little mole there. Yeah. Uh, cause boy, does it work because in it does. Moments, like <laughs> shoot him on that side. A hundred percent. Um, the day saved, uh, captain Duchuk is on the horn. Uh, Spock tells it as it is, but uh, the Klingon captain thinks actually that it was uh, the Federation trying to attack, even though the ship that was going to attack them was destroyed by the Enterprise. That's actually further proof of the the big lie, I guess. Um, Spock does say that the truth cannot be known. Uh, pardon me. Maybe it's the good captain who says the truth cannot be known unless they're face to face. Regardless. It is Spock who proposes drinking blood wine face-to-face, -face, which, Pete, reminds me of that scene from the preview, which we're going to get in this episode, which makes me happy because then I feel less spoiled because it's not something I'm waiting to happen later on. On the surface, they toast. Pelia is there, and her Klingon is a little bit rusty, but she thinks the captain said to Spock, may your blood scream. And she thanks him for getting her out of the academy. Um, he asks her about her Lanthanite heritage and managing to live on Earth undetected until the 22nd century. And she tells him his mother 
was one of the first people she came out to. But that's a tale for another time, Matt. A really long story. Uh, yeah, we better get that. And we'll talk all about that in theories. Um, but it turns out, Matt, when you live as long as she has, you know, hundreds of years, um, she's bored. And the Enterprise seems to have a shortage of boredom. So she might even stick around for a while. But the captain orders another for the Vulcan who acts nothing like a Vulcan. Cheers, boys. We're going home. Oriana runs to La'an uh, and they hug. Story arc complete. Uh, but it is indeed time for La'an to go home. Uh, we cut to Spock on the horn with April. Uh, and April is given Spock uh, a ration of something that they hand out in the military. But Spock asks April to lower his voice. Uh, he is indeed a bit hungover. He followed his gut and he will take his punishment. However, success was won today, so therefore April says the punishment is the hangover, uh, but let there not be a next time and get Enterprise home. Uh, and Pete, I know we have a couple of scenes here before we wrap up, but I just want to point out, um, who was the crazy person in the writing room that said, let's do the season two premiere without the captain or the first officer, by and large? That'll make for a good episode. Turns out, Pete... It makes for a great episode because it lets the love get shared with all these people. It's a fantastic idea that I think is counterintuitive to, to, to dare say logic. In sickbay, Spock watches Chapel sleep and Mbenga tells him she'll be fine. And Spock has no words for what he feels as later he plays his lute in his quarters at warp. Another member of the top brass tells april he let that loot playing vulcan off easy but he says spock just kept them from potentially defending two fronts even if he doesn't know it he says that spock is one of their best and if this war happens they're gonna need every good officer they have as a hologram uh, shows us near the Galdentair uh, planet or system, um, there's a probable object identification of a gone attack ship before a lovely moment in the credits. Indeed, Pete, the opportunity for Star Trek to acknowledge the passing within the body of this episode, to acknowledge the sad passing of Nichelle Nichols. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. No surprise. Let's start with the Klingons. Great to see them return. There have been all sorts of speculation. When would they come back a signature race obviously uh even for this prequel show and set up again by discovery the the klingon war um to have the the different factions really and to do the the ridged heads and a little bit more 
traditional, although I think it's kind of a hybrid with a little bit of the Discovery um, prosthetics mixed in. Yeah, I think that we are seeing a slightly new ridge design here and so forth. I know that in the days since this episode came out, Akiva Goldsman, who I guess can still do interviews about the show, um, talked a little bit about how Look, he was walking a fine line between saying uh, between saying we reject the discovery model of Klingons um, and kind of saying we were looking to evoke more of the original look, even though, of course, Pete, this isn't the original series, you know, blah, 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 blah. He did a nice job kind of explaining that as best he could, which is to say it's difficult to explain because the aesthetics are so different. But he does wrap up and say. The Klingons being a big, diverse species, it's not impossible to think that there's you know different Klingons that look very different. Pete, that's a Star Trek message I can get behind. It is. And within that, Matt, the notion that Klingons, Federation types, working together, this broken circle? Um, yeah, for profit, for you know, for personal gains against, you know, uh, the, the, the value of peace and so forth. I think that though that's not kind of at the forefront in terms of the message of this episode, it, it's there in the foundation. It's an effortlessly uh, delivered, although obviously not effortlessly constructed, Star Trek message and Star Trek notion that most of the Klingons are just cool staying on their side of the border and coming on over from time to time and they're sharing this this dilithium outpost, which is weird, but also it's a sign of peace and it's working. Um, and the fact that there's people who are willing to work together to have them fight, it's just it's just a really well conceived idea. And then we all probably expected it, Matt, uh, but this threat teased at the beginning of the episode, the Gorn, um, this attack ship whether that's like the one that the enterprise squared off against the, the biggest one uh, in the first season, whether this is something different. Uh, we know that this confrontation is coming. It's, it's a nice setup. The reveal here at the end that there's a Gorn hub out there. This is very clearly a season premiere in terms of it setting up those long-term things um but also not proposing to deal with them in this episode it's just uh you know it too is so so elegantly constructed Pete, let's set our long-range sensors to search for some theories let me start with one here pete the minute the minute reference was made to a star trek lawyer uh who i believe is identified uh in the feminine made me immediately think again this is one of these weird things where maybe i don't always completely understand things like paying bills on time or things like that but immediately my, my brain was like boop 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 a real shaw was the lawyer shown in the court martial episode of tng uh, pardon me of tos and so forth uh where kirk was on trial and all of that um that's where my mind went first as a vaunted lawyer, the best you could get. And it's going to be a three day journey. Even if you get the door slammed in your face. Just have to wait and see, Matt. Um, I mean, there's, there's stuff out there about uh, who 
uh, Pike has gone to see here. And, you know, the, the next episode is the, is the court martial. Um, and you know, that proceeding there. So, uh, I, I will say this, the, the performance in that episode, um, is phenomenal. Uh, in terms of other theories, obviously we've talked about an unspooling Gorn threat. I, I do really, I appreciate the construction of this episode where, again, you're largely missing your two leads. Uh, the notion that next week, can we infer that next week we're just going to wrap up the court-martial stuff and then everybody's back together for normal adventures uh, for episode three, which also does the benefit of the Gorn setup here because we get to get some space there until we get presumably into the middle of the season to deal with that further. I think we'll continue to have echoes of them. We know the the final episode title for season two really references the Gorn. So this will be a season long thing. Will they square off beforehand? Will there be skirmishes? Have to uh, just wait and see. What other theories do you have? So how about um, Nurse Chapel and this not as Vulcan Vulcan, Matt? We we had the big kiss in the first season. Obviously, Spock is betrothed, um, but clearly the loosening of his emotional blocks and the, you know, relationship that's uh, budded between him and Chapel, which we know, again, there's a lot of feelings on her side come the original series. Um, you know, this is continuing to deepen. We know where things head to a certain degree in terms of, you know, I think of the, the you know, of Spock going through Pond Far and she's made him soup and he's thrown the soup and, and all that, which, of course, you know, is canonical and is chronologically later than this episode. But the way Strange New Worlds kind of exists heading towards those things, but if they need to, if if you need to squint a little bit and say, yeah, that was 50 years ago. So we're going to kind of massage it ever so slightly. And we're going to, we're going to go outside that boundary a little bit to say Spock is feeling more emotion. And don't worry, eventually he'll be more stoic. And eventually he's never going to talk about the kiss again, and, you know, and so forth by virtue of the fact that the kiss did not exist uh, in, in our reality, didn't exist until, you know, last season's episode was written and, and all of that. Um, I mean, it's a great choice to do this versus Ethan Peck does a good Leonard Nimoy impression of Spock. Like, let there be that nuance there. Um, it's 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 really nice. I can really appreciate in Jess Bush's performance here as Chapel. Um, one, she's just the second actress to ever play this role. Of course, Major Barrett Rodberry being the first. And really, you know, what we have of Chapel from the original series and all credit to uh, Majel there for establishing that, that Bush, it's a, it's a choice. I don't know that it's necessarily as much as the writing, you know, the, the line there when she's resuscitated, why, why you got to be so rough? 
there's a a classic element to the way that she's playing this role um and i really appreciate that the way that it's coming across and i'm super excited to see them explore why something that seems i mean listen we accept it when we watch the original series for what it is but as silly as being made a dish the plomeek soup right you're you're going through a, a bad thing i know how to make this i know you're you're having a rough time and then having it thrown into the hallway you know this is the top of this show enhancing those earlier which we know now occur later moments and it'll be interesting to see in the same kind of you know youtube blogosphere or whatnot it'll be interesting to see is there criticism of spock being so emotional when as you say pete as we both have said we saw it as early as the first season of tos where there were these moments of outburst and lack of control and so forth you know and that's the whole light bulb moment that leonard nimoy had where it's not just play it dead it's play it where there is that tension in there sometimes when you know when times are at their roughest show that tension and so forth it's all there and i'm sure some people who misunderstand are going to say it was never there spock was always a robot yeah and then equally the name check here of amanda grayson okay and most recently played on discovery uh, of course, by Mia Kirshner, a Canadian-based actress. Matt, start your Amanda Grayson return watch. I, I would welcome that. Maybe if they can have Sarek return. I mean, obviously, we're increasingly entering a point where it's been very firmly established. You know, Spock and Sarek have not spoken in X number of years. Um, still, he could both of them were so great both both characters were so great on discovery um i would plead to the universe although of course these, these episodes are already filmed in the can but let's have both of them if we're hinting that that one will return this backstory of uh commander pelia as a lanthanite this new species we've never heard about before and being able to explore this gray area okay they lived on earth for a long time undetected that one of the first that uh carol kane's character came out to exposed herself uh as an alien to was amanda was spock's mom that could be really a lot of fun and you know referencing as i did before enterprise the carbon creek episode where we had the the vulcans you know uh specifically to paul uh back in um an earlier time on earth uh i think shades of that and then you know obviously a uh an update to that so yeah bring that on well and maybe that also is a way to get you know mia kirshner who the, the wikipedia tells me is 48 years old um I, I would say pete looks you know when last we saw her in discovery looked you know looked uh luminescent and vibrant and so forth um point being if we don't want to get too close to 
gray-haired mom that we saw in the original series, then maybe as you're saying, it can be, you know, when Amanda Grayson was in her mid forties, which could have been, you know, 10, 20, you know, point B, we can get it. We can get a flashback here where we can maybe resolve that a bit more. Um, there's that possibility as well as you've, uh, as you've suggested. The medical team's misadventures in the Klingon war. And then these green vials that Dr. Joseph Mbenga always has with him that uh, he and Chapel have used, you know, you're not going to show this. It's, it's the Chekhov's gun of the season, if you will. You're not going to show this and have these go off if you're not going to ultimately tell this story. Similar with, uh, oh, hey, remember that archaeological medicine fellowship that's going to send me to Vulcan for two months where I might run into like to praying and it might be super totally awkward that I have feelings and he seems to have feelings for me. And now I'm around his fiance. I, I feel like there's so much potential in this season for all of these characters that seem to have such wonderfully explosive um i'll I'll say tangents but i don't mean tangent in a in an off-topic way just you know mbenga's secret war past now being explored more and where that propels him in the future and how he kind of gets to grow out of the archetype of he's just the wise doctor there who says things like bring me another hypo spray and you know things of that sort and i feel like each character is exploding with this potential and then here they are matched in a show that each episode explodes with potential. You know, it, here we had the, it's not quite, you know, a, a, a lower decks. It's not quite the, you know, mom and dad are away thing exactly because this really is a show of, uh, you know, a show where all the regulars get some attention, but very conscious episode here. You know, I think back to the first episode, uh, pardon me, the first season, we have our submarine episode. We have our funny one. We have our dress up one. You know, you have these dynamic characters and you have a show that, isn't going to park them behind a, you know, a, a touchscreen saying, you know, all of the, all the time saying shields are up, shields are down. It's it's you know who who knows what there is where their personal dramas and these exciting situations can come together in really dynamic ways. Is this gamma ray serum mad? Are they reaching for Captain America for Bucky? Will this be the crossover? we've always wanted uh i mean pete if you if you believe some of the people who know more about entertainment finance than you and i do they'll tell you that in the last month some of the numbers that paramount inc has put out there the numbers are truly troubling and they paramount ascribe like 50 percent of all the troubles to their to all the financial troubles they ascribe to their streamer uh, I know you're asking a somewhat tongue-in-cheek question, like, you know, will will one day Captain America and the Hulk beam onto the Enterprise for the ultimate Jump the Shark crossover? But bottom line, Pete, what I'm trying to say is, uh, could it be possible that one day in the next couple of years that Paramount has to sell itself or Paramount has to sell Star Trek or something like that? We could be just back to more chaos on the bridge. With that, Pete, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Healing frequencies open, sir. 
We start on Twitter, Pete, where people were able to rate this episode uh, with, well, the following options. Uh, crying emoji, uh, emoji, emoji, no words for my feelings. That's a quote from the episode. Got 3.2%. Uh, two stars, why not more Pike? 3.2%. Nice mug, uh, three stars. That got 12.8%. And then four stars, stellar return, got 80%. Some replies here. First one from at Diana Bodenberg. What a great start to the season. Loved Spock's go phrase and glad we got to see Mbenga and Chapel kick some butt. And OMG Carol Kane, she's fabulous. That's fabulous with a PH, Pete. Um, Admiral Funnest Frontier, that's at Dex Lower, said this was a fantastic episode uh, to start season two. Uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln at Tess LC139. Uh, chimes in and says this was a practically pikeless, pleasing Pelia, performance-enhancing production of pluck, perseverance, and promises of pending <laughs> problems. Well done there. While Captain Pike is great, his absence in 201 was refreshing and allowed other uh, several other crew to take center stage. Spock's emotional struggles, complete with liar therapy, uh, are compelling, and Mbenga and Chapel use Trek's version of temp five quite uh exciting uh although i didn't uh want to like the new chief engineer pelia hammer forever she charmed me uh from her first scene on she's already a welcome addition to the cast great season two opener have fun storming the klingons and what a beautiful dedication to nichelle nichols i've always thought that she should have played the grandmother of celia gooding's uhura referenced in season one uh, if not as a live-action guest star, then at least in a photo in Uhura's Stranger World Quarters or something similar. Uh, and he, in his last tweet, includes the screenshot, which, of course, says, Pete, for Nichelle, who was first through the door and showed us the stars, hailing frequencies forever open. I mean, would have been perfect is right. You know, we we just don't know at the time when they were filming physically what Michelle Nichols would have been up to. I like the idea of the the photo, but you know, maybe in in our hearts, that's who we would imagine that uh, would would play um, this Uhura's grandmother works the best. Carol Kane, Matt, seventy years young. Um, at first, I was a little concerned about the accent, and I'm like, all right, there's clearly a reason. Um, and then you've now linked it to this much larger story that connects to Spock's. Um, so I'm, I'm here for it. And as a performer and given how well um, this particular iteration of Star Trek traffics in humor, um, she's a really interesting choice and you just want to watch her run with this role. Oh, I mean, it's fantastic. And I know she's has said in interviews how she was sure that when she did the accent, they'd have her claw it back and whatnot. And it was just, nope, she's, she's brought this new thing and it's a welcome thing. Uh, back to Twitter, uh, the network formerly known as HBO, AKA KCLYLE1 on Twitter said, uh, great start even without much pike. Interesting story and a bit more insight into medical staff. Their fight scene was a bit long. Get back to me when they do a Daredevil one-shot hallway fight. <laughs> uh, hoping we don't drag out Una's issue too long. Get the team back together. I like Kane as Pelia, but I have a hard time seeing 
her being a regular cast member. I'd still love to see Scotty. Uh, what happened to the disembodied Scott from last season? Anyway, off to a fantastic start. I would like the pod to air now. <laughs> Pete, I will reply and say the disembodied Scott from last season was from an alternate timeline seven years in the future. So he's still out there. It's just not his time yet. And I think that, look, we obviously got our Kirk sizzle last season and all of that. I think that it's a delicious tension that the show is saying, you know it will end up as TOS. Right. And we're going we're gonna to take twists and turns along the way. Yeah. Yeah, and you know the 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 ride. That's what it's about. Craig Main. That's at Craig M seventeen oh one. The super super strength serum was a bit daft, uh, but hell, goofy trek equals fun trek. This was a triumphant return. And uh, Pete. Now we hear from Gabrielle Gabrielle B eighty eight, who says I loved it, and it was surprising to see some negative reactions from a reviewer. This is a weekly episodic Star Trek of yesteryear. I love having all these different variations of Trek available right now. Uh, and a reply from uh, Haven, that's at JD underscore Haven, says, there are great moments to this episode, but there were a few moments I would have cut. That said, out of 52 minutes, at most I would have cut slash replaced two to three minutes top, and it could have been a 10. So if nothing else, Pete, conversation there about the virtues of editing. I you know, marveled how quickly this episode moved. And by the time it was over, I was like, all right, th there was 52 minutes. Pete, couple more tweets here. James, the sagacious at big Kiln on Twitter says great start to season two. This version of Spock is great to see. The Klingons were fun. Nice blend of one-off episodic and serial enough to keep me wanting more. How long till we get Ortega's backstory? Uh, maybe it's just anticipation, but it seems like the color palette of the show is leaning toward the lower decks visuals. If nothing else, it's nice to see the lights turned on. Uh, yes, it is. I'm still <laughs> confounded by how poorly lit things were in season three of Star Trek Picard. Well, remember, too, how when they did the flash forward episode, they made it darker on the bridge to mirror what the original series had done. Um, with that uh, great, great Romulan episode, uh, Balance of Terror. But, uh, yeah, James spelled fun with a PH, of course, which, you know, listeners know is the only way to spell anything that begins uh, with a consonant. But um, the Ortegas backstory, uh, the answer, James, not soon enough. Pete, we also heard from JT Adkins, JTA is me on Twitter. He says, I love all my flavors of Trek and so happy to have Strange New Worlds flavor available now. Great start to the new season. Such a joy. Now, Pelia, when you eat Captain Pike, remember, don't ever say Humperdink. Also, <laughs> I understand that callback. Also, I appreciate that they had the guts to do an opening with very little Pike going boldly. Of course, uh, I'll be glad when he's back next week. Also, the intentional non-naming of the she, uh, who's going to be? Who is she? I must know now. Uh, Pete, <laughs> I would hope that we know next week. We will. Pete, we also heard from at Gooner JCH, who said, sometimes is good, sometimes is not so good, but still totally on board with the ride. I'm already sold on Pelia. Looking forward to more of her interactions with all these kids. 
One more tweet, Pete, and it comes from the aforementioned J.T. Adkins, who says, So, the first person to steal the Enterprise was Spock, which he did in order to help a descendant of Khan. Years later, Kirk stole the Enterprise to help Spock, who had died helping to defeat Khan. Uh, wonderful observation there, and love the symmetry. And now let's hear from Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 1. Well, great to be back. I was quite amazed about the content of this episode because I saw some trailers about the court martial of Una. Well, obviously, we will get that next week. So, this was a bit unexpected, but certainly not unwelcome. It was a great TOS-like Mission of the Week episode with Spock at the helm. Well, he made some brave, illogical decisions, but that's okay. I found the fight scenes with Nurse Chapel and Dr. Mbenga a little bit too long, but it honors the actor who plays Mbenga because he has some skills in the martial art and, well, of course you wouldn't expect that from the doctor. But in this way, he could expose that and, well, they could use it. I got this info, by the way, uh, by the ready room with Will Wheaton and he had Eden Peck as a guest this time. I must say that drug is really potent if you can put down so many Klingons with just the two of you. I really like the interaction between the crew members. So, for instance, when Spock has to say, I like the ship to go now, that whole plays out with Uhura and Ortegas and Mitchell, etc. It, it really gives an TOS feeling. So, they're really, really doing that very nice. And I think the interaction between Pike and Spock, etc., is also quite similar to that. So, quite nice. But it was also said during the ready room when Will Wheaton talked to Eaton Pack that the crew is really a kind of family and that even Jonathan Frakes said that the cast of Strange New Worlds very much feels like the cast of The Next Generation. And this family kind of feeling within the cast, it just shows in the interaction between the characters. Okay, last topic, Commander Pelia. I think I'm going to like her, but I thought her way of speaking was very strange and perhaps belonging to her age or her race, etc. But then I heard an interview with her on the ready room and I thought, well, this woman is always talking like this. She is played by Carol Kane and Ethan Peck talked about her with a lot of respect. And actually, I didn't know her at all. I really had to look her up. But she seems to be a little bit iconic. Well, the lady is 71 and this shows again that older actors can perfectly fit in as already proven by Star Trek Picard. Okay, this will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. What a treat to have Fred back for the season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, it was interesting to hear him reference the uh, the extended fight scenes with Mbenga and Chapel. Uh, I think I overall agreed that they were maybe a tad longer than they needed to be. Uh, but of course, Fred referencing the fact that actor Babs owes someone 
can uh, can can do some fighting pretty well. Uh, a distant memory, but a memory nonetheless, uh, is, uh, of course, that we saw him in the Defenders miniseries, that culminating event uh, for the Marvel Netflix shows, the culmination that was never as good as some of the parts of it and so forth. But uh, a reminder, certainly, of the uh, actor's fighting prowess. Uh, interesting to hear that Fred was not as familiar with Carol Kane. Uh, I just feel like she's kind of part of the ether um, and, uh, you know, star of stage and screen. Uh, I know she's done some Broadway in the last five, ten years uh, as well. Um, but I love that note of harmony that Fred had there, how she fits in with the cast so well. Uh, certainly a note of Star Trek harmony uh, as we hear from Fred halfway around the world. Thanks again, Fred. Pete, this early season two voyage here made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek and our thanks to them as they keep our newly improved engineering section, or at least that on the enterprise, keep it making go. Absolutely. Everybody who gets over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek gets access to exclusive podcast content all sorts of levels to pick from but takes just a dollar a month to get you through that door and then you put the value on the podcast can't contribute right now get yourself over to apple podcast leave us a rating leave us a review uh helps us just as much um and if you're looking to get a little something out of it leave us a review on the uh, Secret Invasion podcast. Leave us a review on the Marvel Movie podcast. Leave us a review on the Ahsoka podcast feeds, and you will be entered for a uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever digital download code. We will be uh, raffling off, uh, giving away um, for the first Secret Invasion episode. Uh, we will podcast on Saturday, June 24th. And Pete, let's certainly keep the Star Trek conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on a prominent social media site? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E -E 12,794 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, looking ahead to the future, Secret Invasion, of course, starts its six-episode run this upcoming Wednesday and of course, uh, Stranger Worlds continuing on the Thursday. So our podcasts for those carrying ever on the week after that. Got some Indiana Jones in the mix. Will it be good? Will it be great? Will it be subpar? Time will tell on that. No dial to turn back or turn ahead. Got to live each day as it goes. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Was that watered down?